0: Chapter 13 of Planet of the Damned. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Planet of the Damned by Harry Harrison. Chapter 13 He wouldn't come in, sir. Just hammered on the door and said, I'm here, tell Brand. Good enough. Brion said, fitting his gun in the holster and sliding the extra clip into his pocket. "'I am going out now, and I should return before dawn. Get one of the wheeled stretchers down here from the hospital. I'll want it waiting when I get back.' Outside, the street was darker than he remembered. Brion frowned, and his hand moved towards his gun. Someone had put all the nearby lights out of commission. There was just enough illumination from the stars to enable him to make out the dark bulk of a sand-car. "'Breon Brand?' a voice spoke harshly from the car. "'Get in.' The motor roared as soon as he had closed the door. Without lights, the sand-car churned a path through the city and out into the desert. Though the speed picked up, the driver still drove in the dark, feeling his way with a light touch on the controls. "'The ground rose.' and when they reached the top of a mesa, he killed the engine. Neither the driver nor Brion had spoken a word since they left. A switch snapped, and the instrument lights came on. In their dim glow, Brion could just make out the other man's hawk-like profile. When he moved, Brion saw that his figure was cruelly shortened. Either accident or a mutated gene had warped his spine, hunching him forward in eternally bent supplication. Warped bodies were rare. His was the first Brion had ever seen. He wondered what series of events had kept him from medical attention all his life. This might explain the bitterness and pain in the man's voice. Did the mighty brains on Niord bother to tell you that they have chopped another day off the deadline? The man asked. That the world is about to come to an end? Yes, I know, Brion said. That's why I'm asking your group for help. Our time is running out too fast. The man did an answer. He merely grunted and gave his full attention to the radar pings and glowing screen. The electronic senses reached out as he made a check on all the search frequencies to see if they were being followed. "'Where are we going?' Brion asked. Out into the desert. The driver made a vague wave of his hand. Headquarters of the Army. "'Since the whole thing will be blown up in another day, I guess I can tell you it's the only camp we have.' All the cars, men, and weapons are based there, and Hiss—he's the man in charge. Tomorrow it will be all gone, along with this cursed planet. What's your business with us? Shouldn't I be telling Hiss that? Suit yourself. Satisfied with the instrument search, the driver kicked the car to life again, and churned on across the desert. But we're a volunteer army, and we have no secrets from each other just from the fools at home who are going to kill this world. There was a bitterness in his words that he made no attempt to conceal. They fought among themselves to put off a firm decision so long that now they are forced to commit murder. From what I had heard, I thought it was the other way around. They call your Njord army terrorists. We are, because we are an army and we're at war. The idealists at home only understood that when it was too late." If they had backed us in the beginning, we would have blown open every black castle on Dis, searched until we found those bombs. But that would have meant wanton destruction and death. They wouldn't consider that. Now they are going to kill everyone, destroy everything.' He flicked on the panel lights just long enough to take a compass bearing, and Brion saw the tortured unhappiness in his twisted body. "'It's not over yet,' Brion said. "'There is more than a day left.' and I think I am on to something that might stop the war, without any bombs being dropped. You're in charge of the Cultural Relationships Free Bread and Blanket Foundation, aren't you? What good can your bunch do when the shooting starts?" None. But maybe we can put off the shooting. If you are trying to insult me, don't bother. My irritation quotient is very high." The driver merely grunted at this, slowing down as they ran through a field of broken rock. "'What is it you want?' he asked. We want to make a detailed examination of one of the magster, Alive or dead, it doesn't make any difference. You wouldn't happen to have one around. No, we've fought with them often enough, but always on their home grounds. They keep all their casualties, and a good number of ours. What good will it do you, anyway? A dead one won't tell you where the bombs or the jump-space projector is. I don't see why I should explain that to you, unless you are in charge. You are his, aren't you? The driver gave an angry sound, and then was silent while he drove. Finally, he asked, what makes you think that? Call it a hunch. You don't act very much like a sand-car driver, for one thing. Of course your army may be all generals and no privates, but I doubt it. I also know that time is almost run out for all of us. This is a long ride, and it would be a complete waste of time if you just sat out in the desert and waited for me by driving me yourself you could make your mind up before we arrived could have a decision ready as to whether you are going to help me or not are you yes i'm hiss but you still haven't answered my question what do you want the body for we're going to cut it open and take a good long look i don't think the matchter are human they are something living among men and disguised as men but still not human secret aliens Hiss exploded the words in a mixture of surprise and disgust. Perhaps the examination will tell us that. "'You're either stupid or incompetent,' his said bitterly. "'The heat of dis has cooked your brains in your head. I'll be no part of this kind of absurd plan.' "'You must,' Brionne said, surprised at his own calmness. He could sense the other man's interest hidden behind his insulting manner. "'I don't even have to give you my reasons.' In another day, this world ends, and you have no way to stop it. I just might have an idea that could work, and you can't afford to take any chances. Not if you are really sincere. Either you are a murderer killing dissents for pleasure, or honestly, you want to stop the war. Which is it? You'll have your body all right, hissed Grated, hurling the car viciously around a spire of rock. Not that it will accomplish anything, but I can find no fault with killing another magister. "'We can fit your operation into our plans without any trouble. "'This is the last night, and I have sent every one of my teams out on raids. "'We're breaking into as many matchter towers as possible before dawn. "'There is a slim chance that we might uncover something. "'It's really just shooting in the dark, but it's all we can do for now. "'My own team is waiting, and you can ride along with us. "'The others left earlier.' We're going to hit a small tower on this side of the city. We raided it once before and captured a lot of small arms they had stored there. There is a good chance that they may have been stupid enough to store something there again. Sometimes the matcher seemed to suffer a complete lack of imagination. You have no idea just how right you are,' brion told him. The sand-car slowed down now, as they approached a slab-sided mesa that rose vertically from the desert. They crunched across broken rocks— leaving no tracks. A light blinked on the dashboard, and his stopped instantly and killed the engine. They climbed out, stretching and shivering, in the cold desert night. It was dark, walking in the shadow of the cliff, and they had to feel their way along the path, through the tumbled boulders. A sudden blaze of light made Brion wince and shield his eyes. Near him, on the ground, was the humming shape of a cancellation projector, "'sending out a fan-shaped curtain of vibration "'that absorbed all the light-rays falling upon it. "'This incredible blackness made a light-proof wall "'for the recessed hollow at the foot of the cliff. "'In the shelter, under the overhang of rock, "'were three open sand-cars. "'They were large and armor-plated, "'warlike in their scarred gray paint. "'Men sprawled, talked, and polished their weapons. "'Everything stopped when Hiss and Brionne appeared.' "'Load up!' his called out. "'We're going to attack now. Same plan I outlined earlier. Get Telt over here.' In talking to his own men, some of the harshness was gone from his voice. The tall soldiers of Nyord moved in ready obedience of their commander. They loomed over his bent figure, most of them twice as tall as he. But there was no hesitation in jumping when he commanded. They were the body of the Niord striking force. He was the brains.' A square-cut, compact man rolled up to hiss and saluted with a leisurely flick of his hand. He was weighted and slung about with packs and electronic instruments, his pockets bulged with small tools and spare parts. "'This is Telt,' His said to Brion. "'He'll take care of you. Telt's my personal technical squad. He goes along on all my operations with his meters to test the interiors of the distant forts. So far he's found no trace of a jump-space generator.' or excessive radioactivity that might indicate a bomb since he's useless and you're useless you both take care of each other use the car we came in telt's wide face split in a frog-like grin his voice was hoarse and throaty wait just wait some day those needles going to flicker and all our troubles be over what you want me to do with the stranger supply him with a corpse one of the Magster. his said Take it wherever he wants, and then report back here. Hiss scowled at Telt. day your needles will flicker. Poor fool, this is the last day. He turned away and waved the men into their sand-cars. He likes me, Telt said, attaching a final piece of equipment. You can tell because he calls me names like that. He's a great man, His is, but they never found out until it was too late. Hand me that meter, will you? Brion followed the technician out to the car and helped him load his equipment aboard. When the larger cars appeared out of the darkness, Telt swung around after them. They snaked forward in a single line through the rocks, until they came to the desert of rolling sand dunes. Then they spread out in a line abreast and rushed towards their goal. Telt hummed to himself hoarsely as he drove. He broke off suddenly and looked at Brion. "'What you want the dead dis for?' "'A theory,' Brion answered sluggishly. He had been half-napping in the chair, taking the opportunity for some rest before the attack. I'm still looking for a way to avert the end. You and Hiss, Telt said with satisfaction, couple of idealists, trying to stop a war you didn't start. They would never listen to Hiss. He told them in the beginning exactly what would happen and he was right. They always thought his ideas were crooked, like him. Growing up alone in the hill camp with his back too twisted and too old to be fixed when he finally did come out. Ideas twisted the same way. Made himself an authority on war. Ha! War on Niord. That's like being an ice-cube specialist in hell. But he knew all about it, though they never would let him use what he knew. Put Grandaddy Kraft in charge instead. But Hiss is in charge of an army now. All volunteers. Too few of them and too little money. Too little and too damned late to do any good. I'll tell you we did our best, but it could never be good enough. And for this we get called butchers. There was a catch in Teltz's voice now, an undercurrent of emotion he couldn't suppress. At home they think we like to kill, think we're insane. They can't understand. We're doing the only thing that has to be done. He broke off as he quickly locked on the brakes and killed the engine. The line of sand cars had come to a stop. Ahead, just visible over the dunes, was the summit of a dark tower. "'We walk from here,' Telt said, standing and stretching. "'We can take our time, because the other boys go in first, soften things up.' "'Then you and I head for the sub-cellar for a radiation check, and find you a handsome corpse.' Walking at first, then crawling when the dunes no longer shielded them, they crept up on the distant keep. Dark figures moved ahead of them. Stopping only when they reached the crumbling black walls. They didn't use the ascending ramp, but made their way up the sheer outside face of the ramparts. "'Line-throwers,' Telt whispered, anchor themselves when the missile hits, have some kind of quick-setting goo. Then we go up the filament with a line-climbing motor. Hiss invented them. "'Is that the way you and I are going in?' Brion asked. "'No, we get out of the climbing.' I told you we hit this rock once before. I know the layout inside. He was moving while he talked, carefully pacing the distance around the base of the tower. Should be right about here. High-pitched keening sliced the air, and the top of the Magister building burst into flame. Automatic weapons hammered above them. Something fell silently through the night and hit heavily on the ground near them. Attack started. Telt shouted, "We have to get through now." while all the creepies are fighting it out on top. He pulled a plate-shaped object from one of his bags and slapped it hard against the wall. It hung there. He twisted the back of it, pulled something, and waved Brion to the ground. Shaped charge. Should blow straight in, but you never can tell. The ground jumped under them, and the ringing thud was a giant fist punching through the wall. A cloud of dust and smoke rolled clear, and they could see the dark opening in the rock a tunnel driven into the wall by the directional force of the explosion. Telt shone a light through the hole at the crumbled chamber inside. Nothing to worry about from anybody who was leaning against this wall, but let's get in and out of this black beehive before the ones upstairs come down to investigate. Shattered rock was thick on the floor, and they skidded and tumbled over it. Telt pointed the way with his light, down a sharply angled ramp, underground chambers in the rock. They always stir their stuff down there, a smoking black sphere arced out of the tunnel's mouth, hitting at their feet. Telt just gaped, but even as it hit the floor, Brion was jumping forward. He caught it with the side of his foot, kicking it back into the dark opening of the tunnel. Telt hit the ground next to him as the orange flame of an explosion burst below. Bits of shrapnel rattled from the ceiling and walls behind them. "'Grenades!' Telt gasped. "'They've only used them once before. Can't have many. got a warn hiss. He plugged a throat-mic into the transmitter on his tack and spoke quickly into it. There was a stirring below, and Brion poured a rain of fire into the tunnel. "'They're catching it bad on top, too! We gotta pull out! Go first, and I'll cover you!' "'I came for my disson. I'm not leaving until I get one!' "'You're crazy! You're dead if you stay!' Tilt was scrambling back towards the crumbled entrance as he talked. His back was turned when Brion fired. The manster had appeared silently as the shadow of death. They charged without a sound, running with expressionless faces into the bullets. Two died at once, curling and folding. The third one fell at Brion's feet, shot, pierced, dying, but not yet dead. Leaving a crimson track, it hunched closer, lifting its knife to Brion. He didn't move. How many times must you murder a man? Or was it a man? His mind and body rebelled against the killing and he was almost ready to accept death himself rather than kill again. Telt's bullets tore through the body, and it dropped with grim finality. There's your corpse! Now get it out of here! Telt screeched. Between them they worked the sodden weight of the dead matcher through the hole, their exposed backs crawling with the expectation of instant death. No further attack came as they ran from the tower, other than a grenade that exploded too far behind them to do any harm. One of the armored sand-cars circled the keep, headlights blazing, keeping up a steady fire from its heavy weapons. The attackers climbed into it as they beat a retreat. Telt and Brion dragged the Disson behind them, struggling through the loose sand toward the circling car. Telt glanced over his shoulder and broke into a shambling run. "'They're following us!' he gasped. "'It's the first time they've ever chased us after a raid!' "'They must know we have the body,' Brion said. "'Leave it behind!' telt choked too heavy to carry anyway i'd rather leave you Brione said sharply let me have it he pulled the corpse away from the unresisting telt and heaved it across his own shoulders now use your gun to cover us telt threw a rain of slugs back toward the dark figure following them the driver of the sand car must have seen the flare of their fire because the truck turned and started towards them it braked in a choking cloud of dust and ready hands reached to pull them up. Brionne pushed the body in ahead of himself, and scrambled after it. The truck engine throbbed, and they turned away into the blackness, away from the gutted tower. "'You know, that was more like a kind of joke when I said I'd leave the corpse behind,' Telt told Brion, "'You didn't believe me, did you?' "'Yes,' brion said, holding the dead weight of the matchster against the truck's side. "'I thought you meant it.' "'Ah!' Telt protested, you're as bad as his. You take things too seriously. Brion suddenly realized that he was wet with blood, his clothing sodden, his stomach rose at the thought, and he clutched the edge of the sandcar. Killing like this was too personal. Talking abstractly about a body was one thing, but murdering a man, then lifting his dead flesh and feeling his blood warm upon you is an entirely different matter." But the Magister weren't human, he knew that. The thought was only mildly comforting. After they had reached the other waiting sand-cars the raiding party split up. "'Each one goes in a different direction,' Telt said, "'so they can't track us to the base.' He clipped a piece of paper next to the compass and kicked the motor into life. "'We'll make a big U-turn in the desert and end up in Hovestadt. I got the course here.' Then I'll dump you and your friend and beat it back to our camp. You're still not burned at me for what I said, are you? Are you? Brion didn't answer. He was staring fixedly out of the side window. What's doing? Telt asked. Brion pointed out at the rushing darkness. Over there, he said, pointing to the growing light on the horizon. Dawn, Telt said. A lot of rain on your planet? Didn't you ever see the sun come up before? Not on the last day of a world. Lock it up, Telt grumbled. You give me the crawls. I know they're going to be blasted, but at least I know I did everything I could to stop it. How do you think they are going to be feeling at home, on Yord, from tomorrow on? Maybe we can still stop it, Brion said, shrugging off the feeling of gloom. Telt's only answer was a wordless sound of disgust. By the time they had cut a large loop in the desert, the sun was well up in the sky, the daily heat begun. Their course took them through a chain of low, flinty hills that cut their speed almost to zero. They ground ahead in a low gear, while Telt sweated and cursed, struggling with the controls. Then they were on firm sand, and picking up speed toward the city. As soon as Brion saw Hovistadt clearly, he felt a clutch of fear. From somewhere in the city a black plume of smoke was rising. IT COULD HAVE BEEN ONE OF THE DESERTED BUILDINGS AFLAME, A MINOR BLAZE. YET THE CLOSER THEY CAME, THE GREATER HIS TENSION GREW. Brion DIDN'T DARE PUT IT INTO WORDS HIMSELF. IT WAS TELT WHO VOCALIZED THE THOUGHT. A FIRE OR SOMETHING, COMING FROM YOUR AREA, SOMEWHERE CLOSE TO YOUR BUILDING. WITHIN THE CITY THEY SAW THE FIRST SIGNS OF DESTRUCTION. BROKEN RUBBLE ON THE STREETS, THE SMELL OF GREASY SMOKE IN THEIR NOSTRILS. More and more people appeared, going in the same direction they were. The normally deserted streets of Hovestadt were now almost crowded. Dissons, obvious by their bare shoulders, mixed with the few off-worlders who still remained. Brion made sure the tarpaulin was well wrapped around the body, before they pushed the sandcar slowly through the growing crowd. "'I don't like all this publicity,' Telt complained, looking at the people. "'It's the last day, or I'd be turning back.' They know our cars. We've raided them often enough." Turning a corner, he braked suddenly, mouth agape. Ahead was destruction. Black broken rubble had been churned into desolation. It was still smoking, pink tongues of flame licking over the ruins. A fragment of wall fell with a rumbling crash. "'It's your building—the Foundation building!' Telt shouted. "'They've been here ahead of us!' Must have used the radio to call a raid. They did a job. Explosives of some kind. Hope was dead. Dis was dead. In the ruin ahead, mixed and broken with other rubble, were the bodies of all the people who had trusted him. Leah. Beautiful and cruelly dead Leah. Dr. Stein, his patients, Fossil, all of them, HE HAD KEPT THEM ON THIS PLANET, AND NOW THEY WERE DEAD, EVERY ONE OF THEM DEAD, MURDERER. END OF CHAPTER THIRTEEN